So let me pray for us. Um, so you know when uh, you would think that before you do something spiritual, you know, like leading worship or serving or preaching, that everything leading up to that time would be kind of God-focused. But I feel like really distracted. So having a good morning and then I started butting heads with one of my kids. And so like, I'm so frustrated about it and I just went up to him and I was like, are we, are we cool? And he's like, what? What? What happened? I'm like, oh my word. I just want to wring your neck right now. So, so I want to just pray um, that that wouldn't be a distraction to this sermon today. Father, I pray that you'd be with us. Father, you, um, you cause things to happen in our lives. Little things, little distractions. And you want us to navigate them by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, that's hard sometimes. Especially with people that are close to us, like our kids, or our roommates, or our friends. So Father, I pray that you would be with us today, be with Melanie and I, as we communicate uh, your word, and how it is you want us to pray. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we have been in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, again, I wanted to start with some review. And I want to make sure that we're getting this. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. Everyone start in Matthew 5. And the way this starts off is the way I think we should start off every single day. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek. And so rather than like looking at ourselves in the mirror and giving ourselves a pep talk and like speaking like po having positive thinking and speaking huge statements over ourselves. I believe biblically we should start each day and continue in each day, moment by moment, coming to the end of ourselves. Saying, God, I can't. This is too much. This is overwhelming. Like I was sitting down today looking at my schedule this week and I have something almost every night of the week and I'm just like, I don't want to do this week. It's just too much. And that's kind of the best place to be when we're coming to the end of ourselves, when we don't have anything else to give. That's when God can give through us. And so keep in mind, Jesus is trying to create a kingdom culture. How do we live in this life as if he's our king? And it starts with emptying ourselves of ourselves. 
Then I would think that the next step would be pray, read your Bible, fast, do all of these spiritual things between you and God. But as it continues, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peaceable, the peacemakers. And so what God wants us to do is He wants us to be His hands and feet. He wants us to live out these kingdom realities. It, it's not enough just to read about them, right? It's not enough just to be able to describe who we are as kingdom citizens. But what God wants us to do is to be filled with Him. We, we empty ourselves of ourselves so that we can be filled with Him de nosotros mismos para poder estar llenos de él. And as he continues through Matthew 5, Jesus continues to like recreate, reshape and change their idea of spirituality. And I don't know what you guys were raised with. I used to think in the culture I was raised with, it was always go to church on Sunday, make sure you always give, make sure you never miss a quiet time, make sure you're always serving. And so the culture, the kingdom culture, had a lot to do with these religious duties, these religious acts. And in this culture, a lot of what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing is they were creating this culture where it was kind of like this one-upmanship. I'm going to show you that I can pray better than you. Remember what Britt was talking about? I'm, I'm going to pray loudly. I'm going to pray on the street corner where everybody sees me. I'm going to dress myself appropriately so that people see I'm serious about following God and understanding His Word and memorizing Scripture. But wouldn't it be amazing if... If Matthew 5 was truly what our religious, our spiritual culture was here at Living Stones, what would be different here on a Sunday morning? What would be different week in and week out here around Lanark Park? What do you think? Just think for a moment. If we were truly creating a kingdom culture, what would it be like? Because this passage that we're going to look at today, one of the things that we're to be praying for is that God's kingdom would come. And it's kind of hard to pray for something that we don't even know what it's like. And if we're praying for God's kingdom to come, and He's actually answering the prayer, but we don't even know to thank Him because we don't know what to look for. So let me hear from you. Describe a kingdom culture. What would that be like? Every week for, since November, we've talked about kingdom culture, kingdom culture. What does that look like? Loving your God and loving your neighbor. 
Okay. Amar a Dios y amar a tu vecino. Loving God, loving your neighbor. Okay. What else? ¿Qué más? Yes. Not just loving him, but being obedient to what he... Okay. Yeah. Matthew 19 and 20 that we can't uh, diminish the law and cause others to do the same but we should fulfill the law just as Jesus did okay so living it out anything else overcoming addictions good what's that poor in spirit good okay yes Broken people. Gente quebrantada. Good. Involved in others' broken lives. Good. Now, I'm encouraged by everything that you guys said because I think I've seen that here. I've seen that in you guys. And I think we can continue to see more of that. And I don't think it only happens here on Sundays and it only happens in organized events like La Luz or different things we do around the park or in the apartments or with our neighbors. But hopefully we just get into the rhythm that it's our default. That we want to empty ourselves of ourselves and our dreams and our desires and be filled with Him and be His hands and feet. And I think the way that we start this, the way that we keep in this, it has a lot to do with the way that we pray. And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks is talking about our prayer life. And we're going to be looking today at the Lord's Prayer. So I want you guys to think about your prayer life. Because I would say that the way you pray reveals a lot about your relationship with God and your walk with God. So think about this. Some of you guys prayed this morning. Some of you prayed last night. Think about what words do you use when you pray? Sometimes I just, I hit play. I'm saying the same things the same way. What emotions do you feel? Are you stoic? Emotionless? Are you, are you maybe tearing up? Are you getting excited? And how do you approach God? Like if you were to close your eyes and think about God talking to you and you talking to Him in prayer, are you, is He on a throne and are you bowed down before Him? And you feel this distance? and this fear and this timidity are you sitting on his lap and feeling the warmth of his affection and his presence and feel like he's a grandfather or a grandma that's just loving you are your conversations with him shallow are they pre-planned are they fabricated are they forced are they awkward because the way you pray, I think, reveals a ton about what you think about God, how you view Him, how He views you. And so what we're going to do is look at this Lord's Prayer. Or some of you that were raised in the Catholic Church, we were talking about this, you might know it as our Father's Prayer. 
So let's look at this passage here. It says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many of you guys know this prayer by heart? Okay, I was raised in a very liturgical church. There was pipe organ. There was people in robes. There were chairs up on stage. And every week, we would pray this prayer. And it was boring. And it was droning. And so all of a sudden it said, repeat after me. And all of us are like, our Father, who art in heaven. And you're just like, not thinking about it. And it's kind of meaningless. And so what I want to do today is begin to unpack some of the significance of this and see if the way that God taught us to pray, the way that we're supposed to pray, is at all similar to the way that you're praying and interacting with God. So let's just look at that first statement. It says, Our Father. Our Daddy. Our Papa. Do you feel like you can approach God with that type of intimacy? So like when I was starting to pray with my kids, they would pray, Dear God. And they would just kind of start into their prayer and it was exactly similar to the night before. And about a year or two ago, I started interrupting them. I interrupt them almost every night, actually. Right? Because they just hit play, they pray the same thing, and they're not even thinking. Most of the time they're tossing a teddy bear at the same time. But one thing I was trying to get into them was, don't say just God. He is God. And He could have been just this supreme being. And that's all to us. But this supernatural, extravagant, amazing God says the term that He wants to be called is Father, is Daddy. So do you feel like that when you're talking to God, that you're talking to God with that type of intimacy? Like you would a father. Now, God could have set this whole relationship up like a master or a boss and we would have come to Him each day and got our instructions for the day and the only type of interaction He would want with us is just maybe further clarification on what He wanted from us but nothing more. If we were having a bad day, He wouldn't want to hear it. If we were a little bit tired, he would just say, hey, just do what I created you to do. Just don't complain. Just get it done. That could have been the extent of the type of relationship he wanted with us. He could have been like an uncle to us, this distant relative that we had very little relationship with. He could have been like an army general. And we're reporting for duty every day and he's just commanding us to do these things. And he has very little concern for our welfare or our well-being. 
Sin él tener mucho But he says, I want you to call me daddy. Or as it says in Romans, as it says in Galatians, call me Abba. Do you feel like you have that type of relationship with God? Look at this next verse on the screen. It says, you can, you can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted because God sent the Spirit of His Son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father. So God has adopted us into His family. He's put His Spirit inside of us. His Spirit should be compelling you to use that intimate type of term with Him. Daddy, Father, and crying out to Him as you would, as a child cries out to you. Now, some of you guys might have some pretty messed up understandings of what a dad is. You might hate the idea of calling God your father. Maybe it's abuse. Neglect. Maybe because of what took place in your childhood. Every time you sin, you just picture God grabbing like a string from the harp of the angel and just whipping you with it, like your dad with a belt. Like you just feel afraid. And so the thought of calling God that when your dad was the worst human being that you could ever imagine, it doesn't help you. Like a lot of our, the friends in the neighborhood that we came from in South LA, they didn't have dads. Most of the kids that came over to our house didn't have dads. One of my friends down there, he said that Father's Day was his most hated day of the year because it just reminded him of what he never had. And so I don't know what your messed up understanding of God is because somebody did not represent a father well to you. But what the Bible tries to do is recreate that understanding of God and Father for you in a way, even if you guys had amazing fathers. Your dad here on earth does not even compare to what God wants to be to you and for you. Let me give you some examples. When you sin, which way is God heading? Do you realize that when you sin, and I'm not saying go out and sin, but when you sin, do you realize that God's back isn't a, a, away from you, but God is waiting and watching eagerly for you to come back towards Him. And when you come back to Him, do you realize that it's not a scolding, but it's a warm embrace? Do you, do you feel that? Do you get that? So when you sin, God is wanting you to come to Him and He's wanting to lovingly correct you, restore you, cleanse you. How do you feel God's acting when you're weak? When you're tired, when you're worn out. 
y cuando están débiles. Do you, do you go to him knowing that he's going to strengthen you? Van con él sabiendo que él les va a dar fortaleza. How, about, how, how is God as far as affection? I mean, you guys know I don't like affection and things. That's why I grew some hair out to hopefully deter Brit and Manny from hugging me. But they say they like it more. But does God comfort you with his presence? You see, what comes into our mind when we think about God is by far the most important thing about us. A dead dude once said that. This guy named A.W. Tozer. Dead dudes say profound things. He said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I'm not talking about in this moment because you guys are all spiritually primed right now to think correctly about God. But what are you thinking about God after you get in a fight with your wife? with your husband. What's your theology, your understanding, your, your Abba theology, your daddy theology at that point? Some of you guys look at porn. What do you think in those moments about God? Some of you guys abuse your kids with your words. What are you thinking about God in that moment? Some of you guys hate laying in bed at night because the darkness in your room is so similar to the darkness in your heart and you feel alone and just the emotions in your head are causing you to spiral out of control. How are you viewing God in that moment? You see, throughout the story of God, throughout the Bible, our Father is trying to reshape, recreate in our minds our understanding of Him. And I love that of all the things that God could have been called, of all the titles that would have been entirely true of Him, you just think about all the worship songs that we've sung here. There's so many titles, so many names that Jesus could have grabbed at for us to address God. He said, the preferred one, the one that I want you to address me as, is by far the most intimate and the most relational. Our father, our daddy. So I'd encourage you to even maybe try praying like that. Daddy, help me. Daddy, I'm broken. Daddy, I need help. Daddy, I need encouragement. Some of you guys might feel a little bit awkward praying like that. But I think it will recreate your world and recreate your mind and recreate your understanding correctly of who our Father is. So it says this. Let's go on here. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. So this is pretty crazy. Our God is relationally close to us. He wants to be like a dad to us. Yet he's hollowed. He's set apart. He's completely unique. So although our daddy wants to be entirely intimate and close to us, 
He's also saying that he's one of a kind. And all of you guys get this, right? God is holy. God is great. He's wonderful. He's glorious. He's outstanding. But I would argue that I think we're a little too generic with God. Right? We're too general in describing Him. And we're no longer wowed by our Father. You know kids like show and tell? They bring their dads to school. I don't think they do this anymore. It's just always in movies. But they bring their dad to school. Like, my daddy's a firefighter. My daddy's an accountant. He counts bananas on the other side of the world. Mi papá es contador. mi papá... You know how the kids' eyes light up when they talk about their daddy because they see their daddy as a hero. They see their daddy as this almost untouchable, unique, one-of-a-kind guy. Do you feel that way with God? Because all of you can say he's outstanding, he's glorious, he's holy. We sing about that. But it's almost too generic, too general, and we're no longer wowed by that. So what if, what if I were just to say that a movie's amazing? Well, tell me, tell me, Matt, what about that movie's amazing? Well, it was just, it was epic. It was fantastic. It was great. You'd be like, get more specific. What about it? What was the story about? Describe the setting. Describe the plot. Describe the characters. Or think about like Michael Jordan. He's the best basketball player ever. Well, tell me about him. He is amazing. Crazy good. Okay, still, we're being too generic, too general. Give me specifics. And I think that's the way we are with God. Most of the time, when the people of God in the Bible were bragging on God, they weren't just throwing adjectives around. They were telling crazy, epic stories of how God came through for them. When my kids talk about me, they're not saying, my daddy's gracious, my daddy's kind, he's loving. They don't say that. They said, I had so much fun with dad. He took me down and we rode bikes and it's story form. And they're in it. They're living it. They're feeling it. Do you have that type of relationship with God where you can talk about him intimately and yet describe him so uniquely and so much like one of a kind? You know, if I were to describe to you Michael Jordan, and I'm not into basketball, Saturday I was, but I would describe like how he defies gravity and how he moves and how it's just so unique and how he can just dominate the court. And I would probably show you a film and I would show you highlights. I would get you to try to feel it and see it and picture it. But the truth is, I just don't think we're that wowed by our daddy in heaven. We know the facts. 
We know his stats. Sabemos We know what he's todo, done. Todos los hechos. Sabemos lo que él ha hecho. But honestly, Pero his name is not that hallowed nombre, in our book, in our no world. Es, no es tan único en nuestro mundo. And I think about this with my kids when I was preparing this. I was like, I'm teaching them the right things about God. They're memorizing their verses. They're not speaking any heresy or anything like that. But are they wowed by Daddy in Heaven? Somebody said in a sermon one time, they said, us as dads, we need to be God to our kids until they know better. And am I showing my kids the relational attributes that God and the, the concern and the care and the comfort that they should be getting and desiring and seeking from God and knowing that what they're getting from me pales in comparison to what they're getting from God? Because the last thing I want to do is just teach my kids to pray right, believe right, say the right things, live the right life. I want them to be wowed. I want them to be inspired. So let's look at this next part here. When we are wowed, when we are inspired, when we see our daddy as someone who is close and yet one of a kind unique, we're inspired to pray things like this. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. What's a kingdom? We've talked a lot about kingdom. We want a kingdom culture. To say that, to say that God is in charge, it's to say that we want His kingdom to come. A kingdom always has a king. It has a people that are under His kingship, and it has a place where this kingdom is experienced. Now. We're to preach about the kingdom. But the church here is not to be the kingdom. The kingdom is still something that is coming. I mean, if this was the kingdom of God, I'd be pretty disappointed. Right? Because there's a lot of things that aren't yet complete or fixed. There's still a lot of brokenness and hurt and pain. But nevertheless, within us, we should see snapshots of the kingdom. Where we look at an interaction, we're like, yes, that's what God wants. That's what it's going to be like. We see all these situations and interactions that like whet the appetite for us of what we're looking towards. And even the, on, the onlooking world, as they look in at us, they're like, okay, that's what it's like to submit to Jesus as King. So some of the things that I wrote down that we should continue to see in, here at Living Stones, pictures of this kingdom, is that pride falls, humility rises among us. Broken marriages, they begin to mend and be restored. 
anger and hate within our hearts is overcome by love and compassion. Racial discrimination erodes away to racial acceptance and reconciliation. So our job as a church is to give visible witness to this kingdom that's coming. But here's the thing. Do you want that? Or do you want your kingdom? Because I kind of like to be the hero. I do. I like to be the center of attention. I like things to go my way and kind of the solar system revolve around me. I love that. But if, if we're the center of the universe, it's pretty hard to sincerely pray your kingdom come. Do we really believe that God's kingdom, God's rulership, making Him the focus him the main character, him the hero, is really what's best. Because most of the time, I want my talents, my gifts to be recognized, and I want people to be wowed by my presence. But to pray that God's kingdom come is to pray that in humility that it would be God's reigning, dominating presence in people's lives. To shepherd people in such a way as we're in these, uh, I was going to say pods, communities, as we're in these discipleship groups, that we would share in such a way that people wouldn't be wowed by us and what we share with them, but that we would be convincing them and wooing them and wowing them and inspiring them to be shepherded by their father. But this is hard, practically speaking. So when I'm in a disagreement with Sarah, do I want really what's best or do I really want what I want and I got some verses to back it up? Because I'm darn good at that, right? Like, do I ever pray, okay, God, this situation I have seen from all angles and really this is what I think is best but at the same time God you are in control you have possibilities and perspectives that I never can understand do what you think is best in this situation and actually I want that even more because I know that will bring greater joy greater peace greater comfort it is so hard to pray this prayer some of you guys might already pray this prayer every day but just think about what you're actually praying most of my prayers help me, help me, help me pray that this situation, that situation will work out for my benefit and your glory you know we're good at tagging things on pray that this would happen but only according to your will pray that this would take place and that through my plan and the way that I've strategized and planned this out for you God that you would still get attention and glory permita que tú tengas la atención y la gloria 
But when we're wowed with our daddy in heaven, when we see that he's one of a kind, we begin to trust him being in control versus us being in control. And furthermore, not only your kingdom come, not only I want you to be in charge, but when it says, God, I want your will to be done, it's going a step farther and it's saying, I actually want what you want. So get this. I was thinking this week, I'm like, what's the difference between these things? Go to the next verse or go back a verse. Verse 10. Forward. There we go. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What's different about that? That seems exactly similar. That seems somewhat redundant. But to say your kingdom come is saying, Father, I want you to be in charge. You're in control. I want people submitting to you, following you, wowed by you. But to say your will be done, it's getting down to the more specifics. I want what you want. I want you to call the shots. These desires in my heart that are so strong, I seriously and honestly want more what you want versus what I want. I love what it says in Romans 8 about this. The resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Do you pray like that? And by the way, that's the message version. You guys are like, that's so not in the Bible. Do you pray expectantly? Do you pray with excitement? You're like, God, I have these desires in this situation, in this interaction, in this relationship, and I know myself. I want so desperately for me to be satisfied, me to be fulfilled, for things to work out best for me, with the least amount of stress and hurdles and difficulty. But what would it be like for us to trust to the extent that we would say, God, I'm excited to see what you have in store. I'm actually on the edge of my seat wanting to see what type of interactions I have with people. For you to say, as strongly, God, as I want these things, I'm willing to loosen my grip on these desires because I want what you want even more. Do you guys pray like that? Because I come so pre-planned with an agenda, having already figured stuff out, knowing exactly, biblically, what God would want from a situation. And so often I'm let down, disappointed, because I'm presenting my requests to God and expecting Him to answer them exactly as I presented them. And I live a life with so little gratitude because I'm only expecting Him to answer the exact same way that I almost demanded Him to answer. Casi le demandé a Dios que él contestara. 
The biggest thing that I'm trying to teach my kids right now is trust. And it's not a game, but I've kind of made it a game. Where I'm not, I'm not wanting to give them specifics. I'm just wanting them to trust me and be excited in just trusting me with what, what's next. Versus saying, okay, obey me now and know that it's going to go better for you because this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and these rewards are going to come. And what I'm trying to teach them is I want you to learn how to trust me in such little things so that it will hopefully translate into their relationship with God where they're learning to trust God. While they might not know what will come or what their Father in Heaven will decide to do, and I realize that for me, that I'm so used to obeying God, I trust Him enough to obey Him, but I don't trust Him and know Him enough to just leave it in His court, let Him figure it out, let Him flesh out the details, and me expectantly being excited about how He shapes and works and does things. So this is what I want to do. I want to try to wet our appetite a little bit. With what it would be really like for us to pray for God's kingdom to come and for us to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because whether we like it or not, it's headed that way. When you read the book of Revelation, after the seventh trumpet is blown, it says that the kingdom of heaven has now become the kingdom of earth. So everything is moving this way. And I think, since God is moving the tide of humanity this way, I want to be a part of that. I want my desires... My, my perspective I want my eyes to be in tune with what he's already promised that he's going to do so I don't want to continue to pray somehow for my kingdom to come I don't want to continue to beg God for my will to be done instead I really want us, I want myself to be a people that daily has eyes to see what God is already doing and I want to pray in line with what He's wanting to do in me and in us. So some of the things that I wrote down that we should expect to see when we begin to pray for God's will to be done in His kingdom to come. He says in His Word that when we see His kingdom, some of the things that we'll see is a love without boundaries, a love without limits, a love without conditions, a love without preferences, a love without office hours. We'll see justices righted, wrongs made right, injustices addressed. We'll see power. Don't you guys want to see power? I see so often in my life, I'm like, okay, I was loving because I mustered up the strength to be loving. I was compassionate because I put an onion in front of my eyes and started to cry and I, my heart broke for them or whatever it might be. 
But wouldn't it be amazing to see God's Spirit give confidence to those who are insecure? And it wasn't your words, it was just all of a sudden they are feeling God's loving, warm presence. Or peace to those who have uncertainty. Or joy when all circumstances should lead them to sorrow. Or to see love in people when they've been wronged. Wouldn't it be amazing to see that? To see undeniable evidence of the power of the Spirit in people's lives that can only be explained not by them digging down deep. Because you know those people and you know yourself and you know those people and yourself aren't capable of those acts of kindness and love and justice. But you see God manifesting, incarnating His kingdom and His will through people's lives and hearts. So here's the reality. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what God's doing. And so are we going are we, to are we, are we work with our daddy? Each day are we going to go out expecting him to do this stuff? Because I would say that our lives would have a lot more joy, a lot more gratitude if we have this perspective. What... Our daddy in heaven is wanting to do is he's wanting to live with us. He's wanting to walk with us. He's wanting to shape our desires. He's wanting us to get to the point where we actually want to want what he wants. And we know. We know it's always better. Just like I try to convince my kids. You know I'm always right. Right? Even though I'm not. But we know in the long run. We have enough testimony in our lives. I don't have to share any testimony in my life. You have enough testimony in your life when you've tried to trust in your own kingdom and trust in your own will and desires. And you know how that works out for you, right? Not immediately. Right? But... In time, you realize when you trust and you submit yourself to your own kingdom, your own desires, your own will, it's not going to pan out for you. When we do this, I think we'll be a people that will be a lot more grateful, a lot more loving, a lot more compassionate. And then I think the work of Christianity will be replaced by a lot more joy and life and love. And we'll see when Jesus says something like, I've come that you might have life and life in its fullest. It's a life lived with our Abba, a life lived with our Daddy. We just love it, we just enjoy it. It's like my son Silas. Anytime he sees me, he'll just come up and give me a hug. During homeschooling, we do homeschooling here right now. Every 15 minutes, he just needs to come up and give me a hug. And then he's like almost motivated to continue. Like, do you have that type of relationship with God as you're going through your day? You get your confidence just knowing your daddy is cheering for you, your daddy is rooting for you, he has the plan. He knows what's best. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to spend some time praying. And I want you to not overthink your prayers. You know, some of you guys might be thinking, 
Well, I'm nervous to pray now because the way I prayed wasn't right. But I love the way that my wife prays um, because she she's not pre-planned. At times she just rambles. Most of the time. At times she's even distracted. I love the way even my daughter prays. Because she'll just, as she thinks, she prays and she processes. And it's not perfect, it's not polished. Isn't that the way that we're supposed to interact with our daddy? And so, as we pray here, I want you to not overthink it, but just ask God, God, if your spirit is inside of me, you're wanting this from me and you're wanting me to be relational you're wanting me to be intimate these desires are already in me you're already forming and smashing my will and birthing your will in my heart so God give me the words to just pray and to express to you what you already want what you're already doing 